Hey, expats and travelers, welcome to this week's episode sponsored by WorldPost.io, the virtual mailbox service powered by Anytime Mailbox. We'll get to the features and benefits a little later. If you're interested in becoming an expat, whether you're moving to Portugal or another overseas location, I highly recommend you get your finances in order before you move. Yes, it's actually really important that you do it before you go. I know when we first got started, we did not do it that way. But if we knew John McNertney at Green Ocean Global, we would have gone to him as he's someone that is Lisbon-based and he is experienced with expat financial challenges. So he's a go-to person that we recommend. Right, he can help you with long-term investments, financial systems, and international taxes. And he's actually helped us and producer Dan has used him to explore what it would be like to move abroad and see if it would fit his family's current financial situation. I think what's great about him is that he gives you personalized plans. He will look into your unique situation and he'll help you out. And this is honestly what's super necessary because we get tax questions and finance questions on the YouTube channel and literally no background from the person that's asking us the question. So now we've started to point people to John. Right, because everyone is different and everyone has their own unique situation. So you need an expert to help you out. All right, so visit greenoceanglobal.net for contact information and further assistance. Check out the show notes below. Hello, and welcome, my emerging expat. You're tuned in to Let's Move to Portugal. I'm producer Dan, and I have the distinct honor of bringing you YouTube travelers and our resident Portugal experts, expats everywhere's Josh and Kaylee. Each week, they'll inspire, they'll educate, and they'll accompany you on your journey to Portuguese residency. This week on Let's Move to Portugal, Josh chats with Sofia, a seasoned nurse and native Portuguese. Discover her unique insights on starting a new life in this beautiful country and the importance of healthcare in your Portuguese journey. What is up, expats and travelers alike? Welcome back to the podcast. This is season two, episode 10. Here we go. Kaylee, how you doing? <laughs> I don't know why I laugh every time. The the standard, how you doing? I'm good. I'm I good. think it's because I don't make it like standard. I kind of sneak it in there differently every time. Do you sneak it in there? I mean, I you like always gonna, are going to ask me how I'm doing. So That's true. I just know it's coming and I don't know why I laugh every time. Maybe I should ask in a different language next time. Or, yeah, I don't know. If you if you do something differently, then might throw me for a curve here. So, yeah. Yeah. But I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Uh, cold. Very cold. Um, it's been cold in the, the house. Yeah. Because it's cloudy. cloudy. Cloudy outside, so we don't sunny. get that sun exposure. But the yeah. sun is coming. It Tomorrow's is coming. supposed to be rainy, and then the sun is coming. Come Let's on, go. sunny Porto. Let's go, sun. <laughs> So what have we been up to lately? Well, we just got back from a trip to Madrid. It's really the first time we've been back uh, for five-ish years. No, longer Probably than that. Longer, 20, yeah. 2017 was I can't the last time. 16 or 17, but so it's been left, over five years. Yeah, we left in 2011, and that was after spending two years there. And then we took a trip back with some friends. We were only there for like three days. Um, yeah, so then we went back just this this past weekend and got to see one of our best international friends shout out tom yeah. uh he's a guy that we've been friends with since 2010 
And then Kaylee's host family. Kay used to, Kaylee used to be an au pair. And um, we got to see her host family. Yes, very interesting because when we left, the little girl I took care of was almost three. And now Crazy. she will be 15 next month. <laughs> so that is weird to see. But it was really good to see them. Yeah. Good to be back in Madrid. See how it's changed. It was really busy. It's holiday time here, obviously, but like beginning of December in Portugal and in Spain as well, there are a couple holidays. And so we caught, that's why we went really Friday, yeah. we had off and we caught a big holiday there. So it was pretty busy. I mean, a lot of Spanish going to Madrid that don't live in Madrid, but visiting Madrid. So it's, cr it's crazy how busy it was. I don't remember it being that busy whenever we lived there, like during this Yeah, time we, of year. maybe we just didn't even go down to the center area. But I got Could some good be. shopping in, so I'm excited about that. <laughs> and then, of course, seeing friends. So that was really good. The one thing I do remember is the national lottery. So, like, it, it feels like each country in Europe does a national lottery. Maybe it's just, like, the southern European countries, France I'm included. not sure because I don't play, so I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of countries do this Christmas lottery, and – the numbering system is a little confusing. I'm, I, it's as confusing as it is like keeping score in cricket for me. Like I'm not, I'm not very good at understanding how this lottery works. But Tom was trying to explain it. Yeah, essentially, you pay. It's not like paying a buck or a euro for a ticket. You pay like twenty euros for a ticket, or you, or you can go in with a group of people and you pay for a bunch, I guess, like, however many, right? Yeah. A larger amount. But there's like small prizes and stuff that go along with it, right? Yeah. You don't just win money. Exactly. And and all that to say, the, the thing that caught me off guard, which I already knew this from our time living there, is just how long the, the queues would get people trying to purchase these tickets. So there's like specific shops you can go into and you can buy these tickets or you have different restaurants maybe that are selling tickets with a serial number on it. And the queues for the actual lottery shops are so stinking long because people think like going and buying the ticket there brings them the luck. Better luck, yeah, so they'll wait. It's an interesting Madness. concept. But anyway, okay, so that yes. was Madrid. We had a good trip awesome. on to our podcast and our podcast guest. Yep, Sophia. We had Sophia, Josh and Sophia talked. How was that? Oh, it was a good conversation. I mean, I, I feel like we could have talked for several more hours uh, and really hit all the questions that I had and I'm sure that you all have about Portuguese healthcare when it comes to uh, just how things work, <laughs> how it works, how it works. works. Yeah. and and there's so many nuances as well, and we tried to cover as much as we could in the you know 45-ish minutes that we spoke. What I want to ask you, listener, is if you really enjoyed this, reach out to us, and we'll have Sophia or one of her colleagues on again to keep kind of working our way through the understanding of the Portuguese healthcare system. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack. So it's hard to do that all in one session. But for sure. Sophia works with Serenity, which uh, as a lot of you know, we highly recommend for healthcare and understanding the system, the public, the private, getting plugged into a GP, all of those fun things. So we want to chat with them because they're the experts in, in healthcare in Portugal. We want to chat with them about different things that you listeners should know that even we need to know, well, right? <laughs> well, in fact, like we're just getting onboarded with them and using them to help us find a GP, help us find someone for Valencia uh, in the private 
sector, right? right? So, so we've had private insurance, but we've mainly just used the public system because it's been quite easy to navigate in that sense. A lot of it's preventative care, so they contact you and make an appointment. So you have to fumble through it when you're there, but you you have the appointment already. But um, the private one is not one that we know too much about, and I would uh, like to have a private pediatrician because stuff moves faster if I need to get CN to see something, if she's sick or something. So yeah, so we are working with them because they, they know their stuff. Yeah. And touching on Sophia, she has an intimate knowledge of the healthcare system here, not just because of her time working with Serenity, but also because she was a nurse in the system as well and still has friends, uh, former colleagues that um, are experiencing it nowadays. And she was based in Lisbon, right? Yes. I mean, is based in the sense that Serenity's there, but she worked in Lisbon. So, yeah. so she has that knowledge, of course. Yeah. So if you like this this episode, please let us know, reach out, and we will try to get her back on. Yes, to answer more questions. So I guess, without any further ado, except one last thing I did oh, want have, to mention. We have further ado. Oh, well, we do, yes. But one other thing I wanted to mention is for those of you who aren't watching this on video, don't worry, I'm not wearing my sunglasses this time. My eyes are back to normal. Oh, they are. That's <laughs> yeah. true. Yes. Okay, now, here we go. Let's go. WorldPost.io is powered by Anytime Mailbox, which means you can get your mail anytime, anywhere, even on your smartphone. And they really have competitive pricing with their lowest package starting at $5 per month. Here's a cool feature they have. WorldPost can relay things from the U.S. to Europe. So that includes documents. <laughs> Amazon purchases. Amazon the purchases. US. And you can get it to Portugal. And they have a variety of packages. Some include secure shredding, free junk mail filters, and things like that. I bet you love that junk mail filter. Oh, lots of junk mail. I sign up for a lot of newsletters. <laughs> She's not joking. So if you're interested in worldpost.io, you can visit the website or check the link in the show notes below. Okay, let's talk about Lusitana Dreams because what they're offering is really great. Yeah, it definitely is. And Dallas actually has grown Lusitano Dream since we first met him. So he's really getting his process dialed in. The thing that I like about it is it removes the barrier and, and choke point of the proof of accommodation. Because that's been one of the biggest things that the D7 and the D8 for the, like the long-term people have had problems with, right? Yeah, it's definitely something that is really hard to lock yourself into sight unseen. But here you can have a legitimate contract. You can rest assured that it's going to be a soft landing because you're coming into a furnished place in a good location and a livable location until you can kind of get your bearings and figure out where you really want to live. And the cool thing about it is that they can start your lease when you arrive. So you're not like burning a few months of, of cash essentially paying for an apartment or paying for a lease that you're not using. Yeah, that's one that's really hard to negotiate, trying to get a lease that starts when you want to arrive and not when you are actually applying. So the fact that they offer that as a service to where you're not, like you said, burning those months saves you a lot of money. Yep, Lusitano Dreams offers visa-friendly proof of accommodation. So that could be for the D7 visa or the D8 visa. And their properties include detached houses, apartments, room rentals as well in different locations like Lisbon, Cascais, Lule, and they're expanding too. So uh, soon to be Porto and quite possibly Silver Coast. Yeah, which is really exciting. So check out Lusitano Dreams for more information. We have a link in the show notes below.
Sophia, I'm really glad to have you on the podcast so that we can talk more about the healthcare system. It's certainly something that I've grown interested in over the past few years since moving here. Obviously, a lot gets said about what American healthcare is like and people wanting to leave the U.S. and, and other countries as well to get to Portugal and experience what is regarded as one of the best healthcare systems in the world. But I would like to dive in, get a little deeper on what exactly that means, uh, especially as people live here. So mm -hmm. what's the biggest difference between the public and private healthcare systems? Thank you <laughs> for having me. So I think that the main difference and the one that pops up immediately is the questions of who manage which system. So um, we have in Portugal, we have a, a, what we call the public health system. That's usually the, that we divided in public healthcare service and the private healthcare services. So, um, but who mainly manage the public is the Ministry of Health. In this case, uh, what everything regardless from where the money, who finances it, who, to, who decides the rules, who, who provides the everything since from a hospital to a doctor to any material or any equipment that they use. And the private healthcare system is uh, financed by insurance or the users itself. And it's managed by private uh, groups. Uh, the biggest groups that we have here in Portugal are uh, Luz, Cuf, and Luziedas are like the biggest groups. Uh, okay. We also have a a smaller group, but it's mainly at the north, but they're trying to come here. That's called Trofa. But those are like the major the, the major uh, private groups. So in terms of when we discuss what's the main difference, one of the main differences is this one. Um, there are other other difference and that you can see once you start working, whether it's the public or the private. But mainly, I would say if we have to put it in one, it's who manages it. Who manage okay. which which system? One is 100% managed by the the Ministry of Health. Mm. The private health care system service is managed by the private companies. However, and this is where the catch comes because, and this is why we call it a healthcare system and with two services because sometimes the public healthcare services will ask the private for some help. Uh, providing certain types of, of treatments or certain types of, of procedures, especially when we come to testing or exams. And so on that end, a, a client or a, um, a patient, patient can go to the public, to the private, but being financially covered by the, the public health services. So this is where then it's like I subcontract, so to speak, to private and ask them, uh, okay, I need help with this particular thing. I will pay you X and you'll treat my patient or you do their blood tests or you do their exams so that I, because I don't have the, the capability, uh, to do that for myself. So this is what, this is why we then call, uh, a healthcare system because at some points they will work very interline and very to in together. That's nice. Mm -hmm. That's really nice. So for someone that's first moving here, how, how do they know if a hospital or a clinic is public or private? 
Because I think whenever we first moved here, we were confused until we started to recognize the names like like Kuf, like Lush. Yeah. yeah. Usually if you go to one of those uh, private facility of one of those, you they're private. The public health care are usually the the pub the private the public are usually there's the big hospitals that you'll find. Usually there's uh they're always a lot of them have name of saints. So every time okay. you see uh, São José, Santo Antonio, São João, uh Senhora de Oliveira, I don't know, I'm trying to see more. So a lot of times, or if you see it with a name of the of the place where it is, Hospital de Faro, for example, or Hospital de or Santarém, Hospital de Santarém, Distrital de Santarém. That means that usually it's a, a public facility, it's a public hospital. Those are usually the difference between them, and um, and this is where, or you just if you Google a public hospital, you'll have it. Because okay. the thing is, in terms of the way that they are organized, it can be a little bit confusing. And sure. just to give you an example, um, for the uh, from whoever lives in Lisbon, there's uh, I'm going to say it in Portuguese: Centro Hospitalar de Lisboa Central. It's um, a hospital, uh, it's a university center hospital. It's called Center Lisbon. And this is kind of like a group of public hospitals that are managed by the same board, but they have four hospitals. So José, Santa Marta, uh, Dona Estefania, Curri uh, Cabral, and the maternity ward. So there are like five different hospitals located in different parts of Lisbon, but every time you will Google and ask, they will send Centro Hospitalar Universitario de Lisboa Central. So it's like they're managed and the board is only one, Okay. but there's five different hospitals located in different facilities with different specialities within them, within the hospitals. Um, so it, it's a bit confusing. Our Yeah. Our public, the way that our public, <laughs> it is, it is even yeah. even for for us, and we have lived here. I have lived here all my life. I worked in the public hospital, and so I know uh, that. But even for the regular citizen in Portugal, the the regular person that does not work in, within the system, that does not deal with the system every day, has a difficulty sometimes in understanding exactly. Where are they supposed to go? Who are they supposed to speak? Um, yeah. how, do they, how do they get there? So it's not, I think um, we got used to it, but it's interesting seeing that every time, this is like when something, someone new comes and tells us, oh, you should be doing this differently. Why don't you do, you know, every time someone yeah. new comes in our job and all of a sudden brings up this wonderful new idea, And sure. I think it's the same with us. We under, at some point we got, huh, they're right. It's so confusing. How, how does someone get this? So it's, um, it's confusing to understand the, the little perks and particularities of the system. Again, because it's supposed to be, and this is what our constitution says, it's supposed to be universal, free, And access for accessible for everyone. Okay. So when we have this in our constitution, the right of health for healthcare, there are okay. there is the right of healthcare, uh, the same that there is the right to have a house, a home. 
So, um, and so, and I think, I think this is the best way that I have to understand this and this main difference between the public and the private is that because this is, this is a part of the constitution, there is always going to be a responsibility for the, the, the Ministry of Health, in this case, in the government to assure that there are healthcare available in, in Portugal for the citizens or residents with, mm -hmm. without charge. I see. With, with that said, uh, a lot of times comes the problem of how to access that service itself. And, and that can be um, a little bit more tricky. Yeah. Well, okay. So there's a lot of different ways we can go here. I'm going to keep it general at first. Okay, I'm going to okay. ask you, um, w when should someone use the public system? When should someone use the private system? Because many foreigners move here and we're required, uh, at least initially, to have a, a private coverage up until a certain point of time, uh, which many people end up keeping their private coverage. I, I think certainly Americans do just because we're so used to paying private health care anyways. And mm -hmm. it's so much less than what we would pay in the States. Uh, most people just go ahead and keep their private, but they could go fully public. So my question is, when should someone use the public system? When should someone use private? I think mainly here is has to do a lot with what what issues you bring or what, what's your medical situation. And for example, what we always do and our recommendations, whether it's going uh, to the public or to the private, depends always on this, the assessments that we do of the medical situation of the person, the diagnose that we do for their needs. Okay. And then because there are specific situations that even prior for someone coming, we would say, no, we will need to go public. So this would always go through the public. I can give you one or two examples of, of things that we deal in our, our service in a daily basis. For example, Please. HIV uh, patients. Um, the HIV medication is only available through the public service. So we will always have to refer someone to the public. Another example is multiple sclerosis, for example, or some gastrointestinal uh, conditions like Crohn's disease or mm. um, that you usually, or some rheumatologist conditions where people use uh, specific types of drugs and specific types of medication. They're only available in the public. And so there we cannot go around. We would always have to end up there. For other medical issues, and to tell you the truth, we always recommend and advise our clients to purchase and keep their uh, health insurance if this is something that they they can afford within their budget, of course, um, mm -hmm. because for a lot of other conditions and sometimes to have access to other physicians and other possibilities, having a private insurance is the best way and it's the easiest way and the fastest way. Uh, Again, when we work with the public and with all the the, the financial uh, need and the need to 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 give healthcare to ten million people, um, we always have a gatekeeper. There will always have to be a gatekeeper, and so I know that the probably you at in the U.S. with the type of insurance you have, I think you all you also have a gatekeeper uh, for for the to access specialists here, it happens in the public. You will have a gatekeeper 
to be able to assess and give you access to further uh, a specialist, to another specialist, to surgery, to specific types of medication. Again, right. so um, I think another difference is that is when you're dealing with a private with a private system, you don't have that gatekeeper. You go okay. to whatever specialist you want and whatever needs you have. When we're dealing only or singly with the pri- with the public service, you will have a gatekeeper. In this case, the gate- gatekeeper is the primary care physician, the family doctor. Okay. Uh, and so here is one of also the, um, and, and sometimes we can go past the family doctor and we have ways and they also predict some ways where we can, we don't have to go specifically to the primary doctor at the public and we can do it. We all usually do it. Uh, but there, it's still a gatekeeper and it's still um, a process that needs to be done and respected in order to access public health care. How do people find this uh, this this pri- uh, public doctor, their, their <laughs> GP or like is, how, does, is, how does that happen? Are you assigned exactly, it? Or? This is kind of like looking for... Um, I, I remember there was a game when we were looking for the the Tamil, no, it's you know there was when you go uh, looking for the something online and it's the same thing yeah. looking for the pot of gold. We okay. now like like where's where's Waldo or where, exactly where's Wally exactly yeah. where's yeah. Wally okay. or something like that. I yeah yeah just to and I think it's it's very important because sometimes I know that the expectations of the our public health services is very high. And in fact, the quality of the service, the quality of the professionals, of the equipment, it's it's the same as any other country or and sometimes I think even better. But uh, we have almost 2 million people in Portugal. So we're 10 million, 2 million without a family doctor. So do, they do not have a family doctor assigned. Okay. This is worse in certain areas of the country, of course. Um, strangely enough, the area of Lisbon, we call Lisboa e Valdotejo. It's very difficult. And just to give you uh, an idea, the news yesterday was that they just opened several um, availabilities for the speciality of family doctor. And for certain somewhat like 300 and something openings, 100 were not filled. So that means that no, not only they do not have the doctors, but young doctors, they're starting their specialities, do not want to go and be family doctors. So having in consideration that most of our family doctors are Mainly the high of the population of family doctors are around 50 something. Mm-hmm. So we will, this will be a, 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 a increase and increase problem with the upcoming years. Um, and some of them, a lot of them do not want even to work anymore with a private public service. So they just work in the public. Up to a few years ago, and I have to tell you, I worked for 12 years in a public hospital and since when I began working in up to 10 years, more or less, uh, it was very common for nurses and doctors to work both in the private and the public. It was, it was normal. 
it was very normal for you to both work in both locations, being your primary job would always be a public hospital or a public health center. It's, okay. It was kind of like almost mandatory. If you want to learn something, if you want to become a good doctor or a good nurse, first you go to the public and then you, you can work in a private facility. Since I would say around five years or something from now, it, the mentality, it changed a lot. The private hospitals grew a lot. They have very big hospitals. They have school hospitals also. They have access to a lot of money and a lot of equipment and the possibility of being always doing new things. So I think that they'll be giving more money uh, than than we can get in the in the public. So at some point, it it became better in terms of career for certain people to just work in the private and not in the public. So being a family doctor, yes, that is a problem, having a family doctor. So again, that gatekeeper process becomes even more hard because if you do not have a family doctor assigned, you always have to go to that loop of going to the public health uh, center in your, in your community, ask, when can I have an appointment with some doctor that can see me? And um, the, the other way, to get in that I never advise, but I'm going to tell you anyway, but I never <laughs> advise because you see it on the news. And after you've been in Portugal for a while, you will see that on the news is if you go to an emergency room at the public I thought hospital. you were going to say this. Yeah. I never advise it. I, I, it's the, <laughs> because it's not, it's not a good thing. It's not, sure. a, but a lot of Portuguese people, and I tell you this because this is a very common thing. And a lot of Portuguese people end up doing that. They've waited for months and months and months. At a certain point, they're like, okay, I'm just going to go there, sit there for 12 hours. Something will happen. Not sure what. Yeah. So in, in the ER, uh, they'll show up with something that's not an emergency, and then they just get triaged and set aside for 12 hours? Or mm -hmm. yes. uh, that's how long it takes to get to emergencies? 12 hours because you are not, you're, you're, emergency. you are not an emergency. You're listed with, uh, uh, with like a green or a blue, uh, uh, bracelet. Yep. That means that you're not an urgent case. This is not something that it's urgent. This is something right. that it's can be dealt with within the, the, the family care and the, and the, in the public health center. So you will wait and wait and wait and wait until. At some point, it will happen because every time anyone that's urgent and that's, we, we use the Manchester triage. So it's red for red and uh, red, uh, orange and yellow. Okay. Those are like, those are the, the most critical. Exactly. Orange yeah, and yeah. then yellow. So that yep. means if it's critical and if it comes by, you go directly to the emergency and uh, the emergency room, you don't pass through anything. It's, there's a direct way. And then the time can take longer or less time, depending on the color. If you're green or blue, that means that it's something that, that's not urgent. So yeah. when you have 5,000 people waiting. <laughs> oh, that is, uh, that, that's, that's bleak. Okay. So... With the public system, how does someone get into the public system? What are things that they need to do to, to enter the system, get registered, 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so uh, when once you become a, a, a resident in Portugal, an authorized resident in Portugal, that that is the, the mark. Okay. Uh, of course, that um, if for any reason, and this is valid for people that are coming and still waiting for their appointments and getting their cards, or for just people that are coming to visit or tourists, at no point, no one will ever deny care at a public facility. So if yeah. at some point there is some need for an emergency situation or no one will be put outside or said, we're not going to treat you because you're not a full resident here. This is not, this okay. doesn't happen. So can I, can I ask a question? So mm-hmm. like, let's say uh, someone's uh, a, a tourist here in Porto and they, they're, they're walking down the street on Santa Catarina, the famous pedestrian street. Uh, yet there are a few sections of Santa Catarina where uh, cars go by. We notice this all the time. Oh my goodness. If you come to Porto, please be careful in Santa Catarina because people will start walking and they will not have the, the green light to walk and cars. Maybe you're not paying attention to the fact that people are walking when they shouldn't be walking and there could be an accident. So a tourist comes, they get hit, they end up in the emergency room. They don't have uh, travel insurance. Would they have to pay in the the public system or is that also kind of free access? Okay. No, they will have to ideally, and the system is designed to guarantee access and guarantee treatment, but the financial responsibility does not belong to the public service. So they will go for who is paying this. Usually because of this policy of treat first, pay after, which makes sense. Yeah. I still believe that it makes sense. And I know that totally agree. <laughs> I say this against myself because we, I pay taxes for a long time now, but I always, I think we treat first and then we ask because this is a, again, a right to non-constitution, a basic right. And, and it's the human way to do it, the responsible sure. human and community way to do it. So if someone has is hit by a car, for example, in that situation, the responsibility, if it's from the driver, the driver will have to pay for the everything related to that person. It, yeah. It's very common, for example, um, here in Lisbon, at one of the main uh, emergency rooms, because it's very close to where the, the, the ships come, the cruise ships. Uh-huh. So usually a lot of times it happens. People get off the, the, the cruise, they go around their life again, walking in, in our 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 sidewalks it's not easy slip it's raining you slip you broke your hip you're seven you're eight years old you broke your hip there you go to the hospital this is very common very common situation so they treat it and then usually those those person always have an insurance that have um a traveling insurance it's charged to the traveling insurance and but they're always treated within the public care i i have i will give you an a, a, a example that was something that happened not so long ago. I had exactly that situation. A Canadian couple was coming to Portugal first time, very happy, put their luggage in the hotel, went down the street. <laughs> Avenida da Liberdade, they were very happy to seeing the city. One of them slipped, boom, fell, <laughs> broke, mm. broke his knee. And so all of their time here was spent in the hotel uh, with treatments 
of course, the hospital will do this. They treat it. They did the surgery and they say, okay, you're fit to go. Goodbye. Nice meeting you. Have a, a safe flight back. But again, they didn't feel comfortable, a lot of pain, still managing things. So we end up doing all of that part of the post-op and maintaining physical therapy and all of that because they would not, of course, the public will not assure that. They will not assure like, oh, we do have a place to go. No, it's we did our job. You're fit right. for us. For us, you're okay to, to I don't see any inconvenience if you go, get catching a fly back to Canada. Good luck. Here is the documents. Have a safe flight back. Don't forget to take your stitches seven days after your surgery. So, um, and all of that then was arranged with us and the family uh, because this is then the, where you will find probably the gap is not. Yeah, I was going to use that word. Yeah. The gap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a gap. And there's a gap. And that gap is, I think, is consistent with everything because it's there. We're very good acting in an emergency situation. You'll have the top of the top of, yes, well-equipped, the top of the top of doctors of cardiac, if it's a cardiac event, orthopedic or something, you have the top of the top people working on you, making sure you're alive and making sure everything's well. The problem is, okay, what happens after? What next? What next? And how, how do I do this next? So, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I'm going to use a a key term that I need you to help me out with the audience so that they know what it means. Utent. What is an utent? Uh, and and how do you get an utent? Okay. Utent is a, a user of the system. It's not a patient. Não é paciente, nem doente, because it's not, it's not someone, let's, it's the generic term, Okay. <laughs> that's it's not someone that's sick, so it's not doent. Doent means sick. Yeah, sick. Uh, we don't like to use the word paciente. Don't ask me why. It's not a term right. that we usually. So we use the term utient. Utient means the user, the user of the system, uh, and so that's why you use you you listen to that the utent number mm-hmm. because it's it's the it's the number it's the registration that says this person is a user of the system or is eligible and everything is okay and he can use the system. So okay. the utent number is is that. We have, again, another expression in Portuguese, something that's called Registro Nacional de Utentes, National okay. Registration of Utentes. That is where it's, um, it's a platform and it's a registration that it's... Um, uh, it's managed by the public health service, so the, the Ministry of Health, and it has everyone that is has ever come in contact with the public health service, it, whether they are um, a resident, an authorized resident with financial responsibility of the system, or whether they were just a temporary use of the system because you are a tourist and at some point uh, you felt and you had to use the system, or um a lot, it, it it was this was created during covid because we needed to vaccinate a lot of people that were not residents authorized residents but we need to keep a record of them and what what was made and give them access to the information that they were vaccinated so they created this temporary uh or uh, utent number the main difference between the two is who has the financial responsibility who is financially responsible 
for the care of that person within the public health service. And so to be a, a utent, to have your utent number and be registered and have the financial responsibility of the system the same way as any citizen, you have to be an authorized resident. So that and means once you, you have to have your residency card in your hands. Okay. And once you go and have your residency appointment, are you just given that number or do you have to like tick a box or something? Do you have to request it? If you have to request it, where do you request it? I know that you are here a year. And so some of the people are here longer, other less. There's one thing that we in Portugal love and it's called bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. So, no, you go to your appointment. Now it's not called CEF, it's something else, but we're going to say CEF just for the, because the, it's easier. Um, you have your, your CEF appointment, the person that's seeing sees all of your documents, perfect. You are now an authorized resident. We will send you your card in two months or up to two or three months. I don't know. Once you receive your card, you they, it only has saying that you're an authorized resident. Then the other process of getting the utent number starts. Yep. Then, okay, now with this, yes, you can go and ask for your utent number and have it uh, have be assigned to it. Uh, the, the, the laws have changed a little bit. This is something that I think internally they had the need to... To, to clarify a little bit more and to turn it a little bit more clear, even for the services that were receiving this. Um, so there is some legislation now that says exactly what the documents are that you need. Uh, but then you're only, only deal, always dealing with people. And again, at some places, and we have experienced that with a lot of our clients, um, the changing of the rules uh, between COVID and now, a lot of things oh. are more, more, much more difficult now because during COVID, for example, they would accept uh, your proof of that you have your self appointments. The mm. now they do not accept any of that. You have to be right. an authorized resident. So all of after that process, only after that, you have to be. Um, approve of residency, the, uh, that, and most of the service now requests that you go there in person with all of that documents and they confirm it and only then they will give it to you. Yeah. And I mean, this is another reason why it's really important for people to have that private insurance coverage uh, so that they can at least get to the point where they can register them with the public system, get the attempt number and be able to access uh, both the public and the private system. Yeah. Yes, yes, that is correct. Uh, a lot of times this is a process that can take you a while. And again, this is why um, they ask um, and this is why they want you to have a private insurance because they know yeah, exactly. that you, we are not going to be financially responsible for you until you are an authorized resident of this country, until we see that yeah. you comply with everything. And only after that, uh, okay, this is, this is something that you can go... A lot of times people are very um, 
uh, even, for example, the question of the medication, the difference, and they they think that they can only have, for example, their medication prescribed or with the discount or the co-payments from the state once, only if it's prescribed by the family doctor in the public health center. And this is not true. So mm. once you have your utent number, even if you go to your private doctor because you have a private family doctor, the prescriptions of the medications are uh, a part of the system, and this is something that you always have a copayment. Okay. Um, I wanted to touch on something that we spoke a little bit about earlier, um, just to dive a little more into kind of some something sociocultural. And we were talking about the age of uh, GPs or family doctors and the fact that there weren't very many uh, younger people that were graduating, wanting to move into this you know, specific field. W what's happening right now in Portugal when it comes to doctors and nurses? Are they overworked? Is there a shortage? Are there other issues? Where are the doctors and nurses going if they're not here in Portugal practicing medicine? Okay. So again, this is one <laughs> this is one thing that we could keep we could talk about this for weeks and weeks because again, I know. <laughs> whenever whenever we talk about the public system, we always talk about also, and I think we cannot disconnect that from policy. And so, what type of policies do we have, and what type of government do we have, and what's the general feeling? When I I I think is not as much as problem of they are overworked in the public service. I think in the public, we have a huge problem. That's a problem of managing. We have really bad people managing the system. But this is my personal opinion. Again, as a nurse working in the public, and I, <laughs> the, the, the thing is, and, and I will explain you why, we see an increase from the last, even before coming of COVID, I would say from 2019, 18 up, we have seen an increase of, for example, the budget for health has been increasing every time. So um, the budget for healthcare comes from the, the general budget of the country. So the, there's a general budget and they say, we're going to give, I don't know how many billions to the public health care service. And it has been increasing, always increasing. So the the, the amount of money that we as a, a country uh, put into healthcare service has been increasing. But that has not been uh, translated into better care of the population, into uh, best access, into better response from the system. There has not been a lot of investments. Uh, a lot of public hospitals are unfortunately old or in needing of, 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 of re renovations. Um, and so I think most of all, and the biggest issues for nurses and doctors and other providers are, is this, is that the lack of, well, they don't feel supported in, in terms of who manages them, in terms of what what's what's the what's the gold line here and we need this and this and so i think during covid a lot of people were overworked but i think this was worldwide worldwide because it was a lot of people with no vacations a lot of people with not access even getting able to be home so i think the main problem here with doctors of nurses it's not 
they end up being overworked because there's no good management. So you end up getting frustrated with a lot of things that you're not supposed to do as a doctor, as a nurse. And then you end up having to do them because it's just the system is not well managed. It's not well, it's not. So it's, that's where I see the overworked. Um, I will give you a very, very quick example. Uh, we now use inter, uh, systems, uh, internet systems and operating systems everywhere at every hospital. For me, and I'm not a manager, my the most expensive resource in a hospital is the doctor or the surgeon because they they cost a lot of money. So we should have him do whatever he has to do, like for the eight hours that he's working. If he's a doctor, has to do appointments. I have to have them there doing only that and not worrying that every time the system fails, there I go trying to write to the doctor and try. So we end up seeing the doctors spending a lot of their times with this administrative issues with little things that they're not supposed to be doing because we need this. They're very expensive. So we need them to be doing this and aren't we nurses end up doing a lot of this also and not doing what, for example, it's a very simple case, nurse case manager. There are nurse case managers in, in, in Portugal, except from us at Serenity. Uh, at a public hospital, you don't have that, or you, and so the doctor has to have ten appointments every time the the patient has a question or anything. And so I think, and this is only a matter of managing, and who manages the system. But again, it's such a huge system. It's such a you get policy involved, you get the government and you have the prime minister and you have everyone and the ministry of health and the finance minister that says, hmm, don't spend as much money. So when we have all of that and all of those conflicting things, um, you have people that are in fact overworked, uh, disappointed with the system, tired of working in the, the system. Yes. In terms of shortness, we had um, a lot of nurses going away and working in other countries. At this point, for example, in the UK, I think they have all all the nurses there. They they just import them directly from Portugal to the UK, and they say just come. <laughs> and we have nurses all around, and even doctors now. We're seeing that, and this is something different. But I think that this is also a worldwide thing. All of a sudden, people understood that they could work somewhere else. They can go to another country also. And so we have a lot of doctors that are also deciding, I want to go and work in Germany or I want to work in Spain or I want to work in the UK. So, yes. Yeah. Um, I think we will have. We do not have in terms of, but this is not a very, it's the OCDE uh, uh, numbers per capita. We do not have a search a shortage of doctors. The problem is okay. not all doctors are in the active duty in doing what they're supposed to do. So I see. Mm -hmm. But if okay. you see the numbers, the official numbers from OCDE and yeah. whatever, we are not like the country that doesn't have doctors. We have more doctors per capita than others. But the question is, we have doctors probably doing stuff that they're not supposed to do instead of being doctors. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay. Well, we recently had a listener ask us about pain clinics. So I wanted to take this time to uh, get this question over to you. 
what are pain clinics and do they exist in Portugal? Okay, so the pain clinics usually, and I think in the U.S. you have more, we have some here, are uh, clinics or departments that specialize in pain management. Um, when I started working in the last, the last year that I was at school, I worked in a pain management clinic in a public hospital, and there are several within public or private hospitals. Um, and basically, it started a lot with um, chronic pain for cancer patients. So this is the evolution of chronic pain. So we started recognizing the pain has a problem with, with uh, cancer patients, and then you start being more active and proactive of that. Uh, I experience and what we do, a lot of uh, our clients that have a chronic pain associated to um, musculoskeletic issues or associated with um, a car accident or with an event that they would have. We have some pain uh, clinics here, but in the private facilities, they also usually have departments uh, for example, we at Serenity, we have a doctor that's our pain uh, management doctor because usually doctors, this is not a specialty. This is like a subspecialty. So you would find doctors with different backgrounds. It could be uh, from oncology, from anesthesiologists, physiatricians, or orthopedic doctors. So from several other, they will come with different backgrounds, and then they do these subspecialties. They have a more intense uh, interest in this area, so they start exploring pain management and medication and all of that. Um, it's, it's an ongoing process for us here. I think when it comes to um, very specific medical conditions, this is very well um uh, manage and very very well care is something that uh, most of the doctors already have in their consideration. Seeing pain not only has a uh, because acute pain is a good thing. Acute pain, when we have acute pain, is a good thing because it's a warning sign. It's okay. it's our body telling us it's it's kind of like the 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 alarm when you have a fire. So acute pain is an alarm. So that's important. It's an, if it's an acute, what the difference is when this pain is no longer a sign of something and a good thing, and it becomes a condition or a disease for itself. So this is where mm. you come into the field of a chronic pain. And those are two very different things with two very, very different dimensions and treated in very different issues. So I think... Um, there exists, there are pain clinics here in Portugal. There is doctors within the public and the private that, that will be able to help. Again, the way that they work is the same way. If you are in the public, you have your gatekeeper, you have to pass your gatekeeper and get until there. If you are in the, in the, the private system, it's easier. We can find the, the perfect person to help with that. Um, again, it depends a lot on the, the situation of the of the client, the diagnose, and what we can do to help with that. Some of the medication that you use a lot in the U.S. is not as common here in Portugal to use. Mm -hmm. In my personal opinion, and very well, because uh, a lot of of med, a lot, the easy access to very 
very strong and specific painkillers when you have an acute pain can be uh -huh. a problem itself, not a cure. Sure. Sure. So if you give, uh, <laughs> uh, if I would, I would put everyone doing a specific medication for chronic pain to every time I just fell, I hurt my knee. So now I have to ice it and put some ibuprofen instead of that here, take 10 milligrams of morphine. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is it balanced? Is it a good care? Am I doing, remember the first principle of every medical profession is do no harm. So mm. I don't think that here we deny people medication just because we like to see them suffer. I think that there are certain, the first thing is do no harm. So make sure, first of all, that you're doing the best thing. You have the right diagnose. And a lot of times, and I, we have several clients that are treated for pain, chronic pain with our doctors. And a lot of times is... Yes, we'll continue this treatment, but let's work on the cause. Let's let's do a continuous work. And sometimes maybe it in two or three or five or six or one year from now, you're not going to need this medication anymore because we, we have treated this and this and this. And now we are at the root cause of the problem. And now we're treating the cause and there's no other situations we really need chronic medication. Our, our doctor, for example, is one of the first advocates and the person that's started more working with medicinal cannabis, for example, that is something that's still starting here. Um, and not everyone is willing to prescribe it, for example. And so it's, it's sometimes the matter of finding the right doctor that will be able to assess and are, is comfortable with this type of medication. Uh, right. Being medicinal cannabis, one of them, it's very restricted, the use of the medicinal cannabis. It's, uh, it's restricted to seven um, uh, diagnoses. Only with seven diagno possible diagnoses you can prescribe it. And so not everyone is comfortable managing it and treating the person with the chronic pain. So pain has always been an issue, and I think it's always a dilemma for the team of doctors and nurses that's working with that person, for the person itself. And I think it's always finding the, the best between the two of the things. Okay. Well, Sophia, if we have other listeners that uh, really enjoy this episode, if we have a lot of listeners that enjoy this episode and they want us to bring you back on, would you come back on? Sure. More about the healthcare? <laughs> sure, of course. There's one thing that I like to do is to talk. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, awesome. of course, of course. I know that we didn't, I don't know if we get into everything that we wanted to, but at least I think the main, the main topics we were able to get. Exactly. And I know that sometimes giving these answers brings more questions after. That's right. And yep. it's, it's, it's um, this is why it's important to discuss this and have, uh, when you want to have a deep understanding of where you, where the country is and all of and and also accepting there's certain things that we just have to accept it is yeah it right. is what it well, is uh, <laughs> we're def we're definitely learning learning those things uh the longer we live here um so if if listeners want to uh to ask more questions as they want to learn more about this uh we will have you back on sound good yes yes of course thank you thank you thanks sophia take care take care thank you
So listener, we know that you are preparing to move to Portugal. We did everything ourselves for the D7 visa. So we have a DIY D7 course. We also have a DIY remote worker course now since they've split those up. And if you're already here, we have a living in Portugal course for you. Now, the difference between the D7 and the D8 or the digital nomad visa course that you could get is if you have active income, you should be getting the digital nomad or D8 course. If you have passive income, you should be getting the D7 course. And we have a special promotion for anybody that is a listener of this podcast. If you type in podcast at checkout, you will get $15 off. So these will just guide you through exactly what you need. They stay up to date as things change. And once you purchase it, it's yours for life. So if you're not ready to go now, you can still get it and take a look and you can use it later on. And Kaylee is a mad lady and she is always updating the course so that it doesn't fall out of date. Well, I have to because they're always changing things and so it has to stay up to date. That's facts. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Let's Move to Portugal. Contact info for all the services mentioned are in the show notes. If you like the show, please subscribe. If you love the show, please tell a friend, connect with us on our socials, and if you want to help us out, give us a review on your podcast player. Expats Everywhere Presents Let's Move to Portugal is produced by Time or Money Productions. Expats Everywhere researches our guests, and we do our best to provide factual and relevant information at the time of the recording. Despite our best efforts, we can make no guarantees as to the accuracy of what you've heard in this episode. We highly recommend that you do your own research and check your own facts. 